0: Well, good afternoon. It's actually Greg Smith jumping in for Linda Swain over the course of the next hour as we dive into some of the top topics of the day. Lots of news going on around Newfoundland and Labrador. It was a beautiful day here in the city of St. John's uh, over the lunch hour, nice and uh, sunny and warm. I took a moment to pop out down to the Avalon Mall, uh, met up with my, my wife, whose birthday is today, by the way. So we'll start right there. News in my world. Happy birthday to, uh, to Jen and to my little fellow Levi. Uh, he had a birthday the other day, but. We met the Easter Bunny for the first time today, uh, and he did wonderful in the chair, getting this picture with the Easter bunny. So you'll probably see that on my social media uh, in the next couple of days. As probably right about now, we can actually kind of say we're halfway through the work week because we're off on Friday for good Friday for the majority of folks uh, around the province to celebrate Easter weekend. And then we'll be doing all the, uh, the eating of the chocolate. But anyway, we'll leave that there for now. Let's do dive into some of the news of the day. We do want to hear from you. So if anything that we talk about today sparks your interest, something in the news today that you want to chime in on, we'd love to hear from you on. So again, uh, before we dive into it, let me share the numbers with you, 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. So coming up in just a few moments, we're going to talk about this, but government is giving $40,000 to help erect a statue of a local woman's uh, suffrage leader. And uh, we'll talk a bit about that. We'll bring you back into the announcement uh, of that today and and share some of the words that were we're, uh, shared on that exciting news this morning. Very, uh, very cool thing uh, coming here to the province. Uh, was uh, announced this morning. Uh, And uh, we're going to hear from one of the campaign leads on that, actually, in just a few moments. Uh, We heard about this in the news with Jolene just a moment ago, but the provincial government is expanding the scope of practice when it comes to pharmacists in the province. Uh, Some new regulations there. So they're now in effect. Pharmacists can now extend uh, prescriptions to a maximum of 12 months rather than the 90 days previously allowed. And, however, uh, any one extension cannot be for more than a 90-day supply. Uh, A couple of other things within that story, but if you do want to chime in on that, uh, I encourage you to do that. And speaking of prescribing, Another story around that, uh, registered nurses in this province are soon going to have the ability to prescribe as well. The executive director of the College of Registered Nurses, uh, we spoke with Lynn Power, of course, uh, believes that this will lighten the load RNs carry instead of adding to it. So if you want to chime in, of course, feel free to give us a call. We'll hear about this this afternoon. Sarah Strickland attended an announcement today as the province uh, has announced uh, some uh, some new acts being changed. The Tourist Establishment Act is no more. A new act is being introduced as the uh, popularity around online short term rentals, AKA Airbnbs, continue to be on the rise. This has been expected for some time, so we'll hear uh, from Minister Steve Crocker on that from today's announcement uh, later on in this hour. And of course, uh, one of the things that uh, we do want you to chime in on is anything of your choosing, so please feel free uh, to give us a ring on whatever is on your mind. A couple of other things outside of the news today. Uh, Jerry D, comedian in the province this week. We're going to hear from him uh, later on this hour and we'll get an update as well on the uh, St. John's Junior Hockey League Finals. They kicked off last night in exciting fashion. A triple overtime win for one of the two final teams. We'll hear uh, from Nick Hillier. He's going to give us a shout uh, on the phone a little bit later on this afternoon. So let's dive into a few things of interest today. As mentioned, government is giving $40,000 to help erect a statue uh, of a local woman Suffrage leader. Now the minister responsible of women and gender equality, Pam Parsons, announcing today the government would be giving the money to Persistence Theaters Rise Her Up campaign. And this campaign, of course, is aimed to erect a statue of Armin Nutting Gosling, who led the island's uh, wide women's franchise league. And they were fighting for for women's right to vote for decades, really, during the early 1900s. Dr. Margaret Dooley is a historian, chair of the Statute Committee, and gave those in attendance a history today of Gosling and of of women's suffrage in this province. So let's play a bit of that for you, just so you, you can hear what she had to say.
1: You're going to have to forgive me. I'm an historian. So I'm going to take us back to the 1890s when women first marched for women's suffrage in Newfoundland. They did so under the banner of temperance and the Women's Christian Temperance Union. Now, they weren't just being spoiled sports, although I have to admit there was an element of that in their campaign. But women of the time were drawing a connection between alcoholism, domestic violence, and poverty. And they wanted to vote on local option, votes in local communities to restrict the sale of alcohol. And so they marched to the Confederation Building with petitions in hand. And at the time, there was a quandary amongst the male members of the House of Assembly. What did you do with a delegation of women? So they made them sit in the basement Well, I'm happy to report (laughs) that some decades later, three decades to be exact, Armin Gosling arrived with petitions and she was now permitted to sit in the gallery that you see up there. So that was some advance. But even though she was sitting in the gallery, she had to listen and the other suffragists that were with her to interminable speeches on whether women deserved the vote. Now, the movement had been assisted enormously by World War I, um, in which the Women's Patriotic Association had done all sorts of work in support of the war war effort. They raised the equivalent of about $11 million, if you computed it in today's purchase terms in support of the Newfoundland Regiment and those at sea, Um, all by knitting socks, knitting comforts, doing endless uh, fundraising. Sometimes it was just very, very small. It's it's so poignant to to recall. Um, In a, a, a community on the outskirts of Twillingate, they raffled six potatoes to raise money for the regiment. And as a result of all of this work, when the war was over, women said, we deserve a vote. We deserve to shape post-war society. And so a suffrage campaign began. But it had been preceded by enormous amount of work by Armin Gosling herself. Starting in 1908 before the war she first raised the modern issue of suffrage not simply on prohibition but to vote on absolutely anything to make women full citizens of Newfoundland and Labrador and in 1908 when she did this (sighs) It's a good thing there wasn't a Twitter feed, I can say, in 1908, because reading the newspapers is bad enough. But one of the phrases that especially stands out in my mind was, she was condemned as the evil that has sprung up in our midst. Because she was challenging the notion that women's role should only be in the domestic sphere, that they deserve to be full citizens, and what an uproar.
0: There you go. That is Dr. Margaret Dooley, uh, historian, chair of the statue Committee, uh, speaking this morning at the announcement that government will give $40,000 now to help erect the statue of a local woman's uh, suffrage leader, of course, uh, Armini Gosling, who, who led the island-wide Women's Franchise League, which fought, of course, for women's rights to vote uh, for decades during the early 1900s. So if that's something you want to weigh in on this afternoon on News Talk, you can uh, feel free to do just that. You can go to VOCM.com as well, by the way. Uh, We do have uh, some pictures up from that announcement today, and uh, you can take a look at that for yourself. Uh, In other news today, another government announcement, the province's Tourist Establishments Act. Well, it's no longer a thing. (laughs) It's a new act now. It's being introduced today as the popularity of online short-term rentals such as uh, Airbnbs continue to rise. Tourism Minister Steve Crocker had all the details on that as VOCM's Sarah Strickland, attended the event.
2: Today I am pleased to proclaim the new Tourism Accommodations Act and regulations. This new legislation is a response to the modernization of the tourism industry and the unique nature of short-term rentals in our current tourism market. It is also an important step towards the success of our new 2022-2026 tourism vision we launched in December. The Tourism Accommodation Act replaces the former Tourism Establishment Act which dates back to 1970, 53 years ago, when there were no websites, no online bookings, and no readily available reviews for accommodations. Online accommodation marketing platforms such as Airbnb and VRBO have become increasingly popular with travelers who are seeking Newfoundland and Labrador accommodation, accommodations and experiences. More people are now hosts listing their homes, income properties, and vacation homes on these platforms. No doubt the increase in short-term rentals have expanded visitation to rural Newfoundland and Labrador and have put money back into our communities. While there are many benefits to this increase of short-term rentals, an unfortunate side effect has been an increase in the number of unlicensed accommodations. When an accommodation is unlicensed, on li- on we essentially do not know they exist or are in operation. Therefore, there is no oversight, no regulation, no requirement for health and safety, and no protection for our guests. Our partners at Hospitality Newfoundland and Labrador, as well as many licensed tourism accommodators in our province, have requested that provincial and municipal governments work on a solution to establish a more level playing field for tourism accommodations. I believe this new legislation does just that. It removes the requirement for a Canada Select rating, which is largely seen to be outdated in today's tourism industry. It will result in a decrease in cost for tourism operators as they will no longer have to pay the annual Canada Select Fee. It also removes the requirement for accommodations to be issued licenses by the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts and Recreation. Instead, all provincial accommodations will have to complete a registration process which there will be no fee for. And any accommodations currently listed with the province will be automatically registered. The department will be here to guide, anyone requiring assistance, and all accommodators must be registered by March 31, 2024. While we recognize that these changes alone will not fully level the playing field for the accommodations industry, we do feel that this is a significant step forward and a good point from which to start beginning, beginning continuous improvements to an industry that is so important to our province. We will continue to work with stakeholders like Hospitality Newfoundland and Labrador, our destination management organizations, and other government departments along with MNL, Municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador. As we move forward with the implementation and evaluation of our new legislation, we are committed to continuing an open dialogue on the issues that may arise and working together to find creative solutions for these issues. As a government, we will continue to encourage and foster conditions that support small business in the tourism industry. And I can say with certainty that this new act will enhance the sector and position it for continued success in the future. Thank you.
0: That is tourism minister Steve Crocker earlier today. The province's tourist establishment act is no more. A new act introduced today as the popularity of online short-term rentals such as Airbnb continues to rise. This is something that's been a long time coming, a long-awaited announcement today. If you want to chime in on it, we encourage you to give us a call here on News Talk this Afternoon, 709-273-5211 or one 590 8626 Well, it's 420. When we come back after a short break this April, of course, this month is Oral Health Month. And an important part of the celebration is National Dental Hygienist Week. That kicks off today. We'll hear from a registered dental hygienist when we get back here on Newstalk. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. And welcome back to News Talk. It is Greg Smith jumping in for Linda Swain this afternoon. And if there is something that you want to chime in on today, please give us a call. 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. Let's head over to the phone. Uh, Line number 10 here this afternoon. I have uh, Nicole Kyle. Joining us, a registered dental hygienist, a past president of the NLDHA, and of course, a current member of the Public Awareness Committee when it comes to the Newfoundland and Labrador Dental Hygienists Association. Nicole, good afternoon. Hi,
3: Greg. How are you?
0: I'm doing fantastic. Thanks so much for reaching out because I guess today is an important kickoff for an important week, but April is an important month as well.
3: It is, yep. So April is Oral Health Month. And then every April within that month is also National Dental Hygienist Week, which is happening right now from the 4th to the 10th.
0: Amazing. So it's all kicking off here today. One of the things about these Awareness Months and Awareness Weeks is obviously the theme that goes around that. And I know there's so much that we could probably talk about when it comes to to oral health, but I think this year's theme, as I look at it here, really speaks for itself, and it really kind of highlights exactly what you need to do for yourself without even telling you what to do for yourself.
3: Exactly. So this week's theme is oral health for total health. So this is a great opportunity for us to spread awareness about the connection between the health of your mouth and the health of your body. And um, like you just mentioned, it's something that we do for ourselves. So we try to look at dental hygiene as part of our self-care routine.
0: So when it comes to oral health, I mean, brushing your teeth obviously is the, the, the clear one here, right? But it's so much more than that, isn't it? I mean, there's so much more when it comes to your oral health than brushing your teeth or, or flossing your teeth. Let's talk about the overall scope of what we should be doing.
3: Oh, that's such a great question, Greg. Because one thing that I've been really trying to do um, on our uh, social media for our clinic um, is to really step back and look at beyond brushing and flossing. Because we've been beating the brushing and flossing drum for a long time. <laughs> so I think I think people got a handle on you know the things that they should do at home. But I really like talking about strategies for cavity reduction and other things that we can do to keep our mouth healthy. So some of my favorite ones. Um, You know, sugar gets a hard rap right from when Mm -hmm. you're a little kid. We talk about the sugar bugs and we really kind of put a lot of weight on sugar when the truth is it's so much more than that. It is a small piece of the puzzle. Um, So one of the things that we like to talk about as dental hygienists are strategies that you can do, like, for instance, drinking water after a snack or after a meal Um, to help clear the sugar and carbohydrates out of your saliva, Because it's not just about the sugar. Like Basically, most things that we put in our mouth is made up of some form of a carbohydrate, um, and that actually fuels cavity-causing disease too. So if we have a couple sips of water after we eat or drink something that contains sugar, um, which even milk, milk has carbohydrates, having a few sips of water after can actually help prevent cavities. Um, And when it does come to your drink of choice, we usually recommend drinking water, you know, most of the time. And if you are going to have a treat or something that's sweetened, like juice, um, that you drink it all in one sitting and try not to sip on it throughout the day. Because even when we look at a small amount of sugary beverage, every time we take a sip, it exposes our teeth to sugar. And a lot of times we don't get chance, our saliva doesn't get a chance to recover in between. So taking a sip of water, even after a sugar-sweetened beverage, can also reduce your chances of getting cavities.
0: I've always struggled, I'll be totally honest here, of flossing. I'm not a fan of it. I've never been able to do it regularly. My (laughs) dentist gives me a hard time for it every time I'm into the clinic. But there's been a number of tools, right, that have come out, I guess, I I will say in recent years, I got a, a water pick at home. Uh, that I find yes. much more better than flossing. Is there stuff now that's probably more uh, easily attainable to help oral health at home more
4: regularly?
3: Yes. Yeah, so f- floss is the golden standard. We'll say that, right? Mm-hmm. It's one of the, um, you know, a face value is one of the easiest ways. But since the inception of flossing, humans have had trouble building a flossing habit. Um, and it's one of those things that seems simple enough, but people just can't can't stick with it or they start and they stop. So, there are lots of other tools. Well, not, I mean, there's a handful of other tools that we recommend, like the water pick, like you recommended. Mm-hmm. So, basically, when we brush our teeth, we're removing, um, you know, most of the bacteria from our mouths, let's say, from the cavity causing bacteria and disease causing bacteria. The floss does get the stuff that your brush just can't reach. So, other tools that can reach that plaque will be something like the water pick, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And that uses, um, air and pressure and water to disturb the plaque. Because the one thing with bacteria in your mouth, you can't just rinse it away. Like using a mouthwash doesn't get rid of all the plaque. It kills some of the bacteria, but it doesn't get rid of the plaque. So you need to physically manipulate the plaque. So the water pick does that with water. You can also get little tiny brushes called interproximal brushes. And you can pick those up at Walmart um, or order different brands online. And they come in different sizes, from teensy teensy tiny to a little bit bigger. So for some people, floss isn't even actually the best option. If they have bigger spaces, one of these little brushes could be a better tool.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, you can do as much as you can at home, but obviously the regular checkups and, and uh, appointments with your dental hygienist and, and those clinics are important. What's the standard these days? I think growing up, it was always kind of drilled in every six months, go in and see your dentist, get, get your checkup, get your, you know, your cleaning and stuff done. Is it still around the same?
3: So I will say it's normal. The six month interval is a normal recall interval for your checkup and your dental cleaning. But when we look at something like your dental cleaning, we look at all the risk factors. So when we talk about overall health and total health, um, the relationship is like a two way street. So there are some reasons why medically, based on medical history, someone might actually benefit from more frequent cleanings. I heard one time before that the six month thing started in Britain with a commercial or something like that and the truth is that people's needs vary so some people get a cleaning every six months some people actually come in and visit a hygienist every three to four months um, some people get checkups once a year some people get checkups twice a year so basically by visiting your dental professionals they're looking at your overall risk factors for disease and help you figure out how often you should come Some people, you know, consider their insurance, and the truth is it does cost money to visit a dentist or a hygienist. So we take into consideration people's coverage, some people like to maximize their coverage, and some people's treatment that we recommend Um, is more than what their insurance covers. So there's lots of different factors when we look at how often someone can come in, but it's actually not as easy as saying it's every six months for everybody.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, that's what it is when it comes to any type of health, when you're looking at uh, at working out, not everybody needs to work out every day or anything like that. So yeah, it's just doing what's best for for you and your overall health. Uh, I'm a little late (laughs) for news, but I do got to ask you this, (laughs) because as everyone knows, you get down rabbit holes with Netflix and documentaries and stuff. And as I'm talking to, you i can recall a documentary that i watched a couple of years ago around uh oral health and about say root canals and and if you get a root canal how it's connected to certain every tooth or every root canal you do can be connected to one's health or one ailment that they're going through what is that true is that like what's the deal with i guess your mouth overall with the overall health does it really go through every little facet of your body
3: So when it comes to information that's available to, let's say, us as consumers, it's kind of important to consider the source, and also do some research of your own. So that, that particular documentary, I know the exact mm-hmm. one you're talking about, um, maybe had, you know, from a dental professional's perspective. So I will say I'm looking at it from the perspective of a registered dental hygienist. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the things are true, like how connected everything is, or um, some things that I know to be true. But um, with those types of conversations, you really want to do your own research, Um, Some people, I mean, root canals, is a treatment that's been around for a very long time. They don't work for everybody. Sometimes when it's a treatment that's recommended, the alternative is to lose a tooth. So you're kind of looking at all the different things that go into making that decision. Mm -hmm. Um, Root canals get a bad rap, but there's no, there's no, I can't say that there's the research that we look at um, doesn't support all of the theories out of something like that documentary. But I will say, when a treatment's recommended like you, like that to somebody, it's a good idea to ask your dental professionals, get all the information you need, start with them before you turn to Google, Because, as we all know, just because it's on Google doesn't make it true. (laughs) Um, but, But, yeah, root canals work for some people and other people don't have success with them. But that's not to say that they haven't worked for lots and lots and lots of people over the years to help them maintain their teeth.
0: You don't know how long I've been waiting to ask a dental hygienist that question, so thank you.
3: As you, as you were asking that, I was like, please don't say root canal, please don't say root canal.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Nicole Kylie is joining us on the line, and it is of course Oral Health Month. And this week, starting today, is National Dental Hygienist Week. Uh, how can people find more before I let you go?
3: Sure, yeah. Well, I, um, if you're looking for just information on a national level, dentalhygienecanada.ca is a great resource. Um, I own an independent dental hygiene clinic so we post part of what we do at the dental hygiene studio is we use social media for to educate our clients and educate the public so you can definitely find us at the DH studio Um, on Facebook and Instagram and also if you google the Newfoundland Dental Hygienists Association they have a web page that also has um, some links to information as well
0: amazing registered dental hygienist Nicole Kylie I thank you for this uh, little update and chat I truly enjoyed it thanks so much
3: Perfect. Thank you so much, Greg.
0: There you go. Nicole Kylie joins us on News Talk. I'm a little bit late for the news, but that's okay. It's uh, 4.34. We'll head over to the newsroom. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM
2: All Night Show.
0: Midnight on your VOCM. And welcome back to News Talk. This afternoon, Greg Smith in for Linda Swain. And let's dive into a little hockey news right now because the St. John's Junior Hockey League finals of their playoffs well underway as of last night. Joining us to talk all about the exciting action last night, Nick Hillier, Director, of course, of Public Relations and Communications with the St. John's Junior Hockey League. Hey, Nick, how are you? I'm doing great, Greg. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I mentioned the playoffs kicked off last night. You couldn't have asked for a better start to this.
5: You are absolutely right. When you say they kicked off, they kicked off with more than a bang. We were in Bay Roberts in front of a full burn, uh, over 600 there at the Bay Arena, uh, where the Morfrost CBN Stars took game one at home. 5-4 over the St. John's Caps. But when I say we kicked it off with a bang, fans got well more than their money's worth uh, last night. Greg, it was an insanely good game. How good, you ask? We went to triple overtime. Amazing. It took three overtime periods for us to find a winner of this game. Uh, and it was just one of the best games that I think – uh, that the St. John's Junior Hockey League has put out there in a very long time—one uh, of the greatest games that I've seen in our playoff action in our playoff history, and certainly a great uh, tee-off for what's bound to be a very exciting finals.
0: Yeah, and I guess when we talk about the finals now, uh, best of seven series.
5: Best of seven is correct. We have uh, best four, best four out of seven.
0: Amazing. So I guess uh, what will happen now, you, do you go back and forth from uh, CBN to St. John's or you stay a couple of games out that way? What's the plan here?
5: No, nope. so we will be going one for one. Game two is going to be going tomorrow night, Wednesday, April the 5th. Uh, late start time, 9 p.m. at Twin Rinks. So late night out in the middle of the week. Uh, might go to triple overtime and we'll be there past midnight. We don't know, but uh, 9 p.m. tomorrow night uh, at Twin Rinks, $10 at the gate. Uh, definitely get out and check out the action. We got Game 3 going Friday, 7.30 p.m. at Bay Arena. Game 4, Saturday, April the 8th at 6.30. So we go early on Saturday at 6.30. Game five still to be determined. We're expecting it'll be either Monday or Tuesday of next week. Uh, And then game six, if necessary, will go Wednesday, April 12th at Twin Rinks, 7 p.m. And then game seven, we went to game seven, the last two of our finals. Both of them went to double overtime, uh, but this year's game seven, Friday, April 14th, if necessary, at the Bay Arena at 7.30 p.m.
0: Amazing, man. Nick uh, Hillier on the line, Director of Public Relations Communications at the St. John's Junior Hockey League. Two things to note here you can touch on both for me. One, the triple overtime piece I find interesting because most most hockey leagues in, in the pros these days, they end up going to, to a shootout eventually, which I don't know if I'm really much a fan of. I like going down to the basically until the wire, until someone gets one in the net. And, and on top of that, just talk about the caliber of hockey then because if you're heading to a triple overtime, Time, I mean, clearly the finals, the best two teams of the league this year, but just talk about that caliber of hockey because these got to be some impressive players.
5: Absolutely, Greg. And we talked about the caliber of hockey. I got no problem saying this is going to be the best playoff hockey you're going to find in Newfoundland Lago right now. Uh, I will stand true to that because triple overtime, how evenly matched these two teams are, whether it be up front seeing – how skilled they are offensively, the great defense, of course, that both teams have, and then how stellar their goaltenders were. I mean, we looked just la- at last night's statistics. Short was five to four. Nathan Hurley at the St. John's Caps, nine point, uh, a point nine two four save percentage. His counterpart, Riley Patton of the Morfrost CDM Stars. A .929. Some phenomenal stats out of a very tight game where both goalies face north of 55 shots.
0: Wow. Wow. 55 <laughs> shots north of that. That's that's on fire, man.
5: <laughs> Actually, it's the, the exact numbers are going to be 56 on Riley Patton, and then Nathan Hurley turned away 61 out of 66.
0: That's unbelievable, and obviously, uh, these aren't uh, you know seasoned hockey players. They're, what, what age group are we looking at here when it comes to the St. John's Junior Hockey League?
5: So we're looking at 17 to 22. Uh, we are the gap. Between, we are the uh, age group between uh, the U18 league, uh, the the major midget league, and the senior league. Uh, we we get a lot of our players coming up from the U18 league. Last night's overtime hero. Alex Crane came up from the U18 league. Uh, Alex Crane, uh, an underager who uh, Bay Roberts said, you know what, we're going to call you up. We're going to have you play and had a three-point night last night. Uh, And then we look at guys uh, like Nathan Hurley, who's, who's only in his first year in this league, really stood on his head last night. He was a big proponent to making sure that the Caps got to the finals. Uh, when they defeated the defending champion Malpro Blades, amazing. But the caliber of hockey is is fantastic. You got you got players, in my opinion, who could be gone away, but love being home, love playing with the people that they grew up with, mm-hmm. who they have known for so many years, and to have that great caliber of junior. Hockey in Newfoundland and Labrador, sure, we're a Junior B Hockey League. We're not Junior A like the Maritime League or the BCHL uh, or the Alberta Junior League. But when I say that this is an elite Junior B Hockey League with phenomenal players who have come home from the QMJHL, from the MHL, uh, and then people coming from across Canada for uh, to come to Newfoundland to play in this league and go to school here. Uh, It's a great caliber of hockey that I think is unmatched by any other Junior B League in Canada.
0: Amazing stuff. The St. John's Junior Hockey League, the Taylor Cup Finals underway. The Moorfrost CBN Stars up one game to nothing. Game two set for tomorrow night at the Twin Rinks here in St. John's. uh, 9 p.m. start time. Uh, Once again, Nick, how can people get in through those doors? Is it events tickets? Is it tickets at the door?
5: Uh, so, Bay Roberts will be doing advanced tickets. I haven't been informed if St. John's will be, but you show up, and I would advise you to show up early. Twin Rinks, obviously one of the smaller rinks uh, here in the metro region, uh, and I would not be shocked to see a sellout, especially after last night's game. So, Twin Rinks... Get to the doors uh, and get your tickets uh, there and take in some great junior high league action.
0: Nick Hillier, man, I appreciate the call into to the program this afternoon. We'll be keeping a close eye on the rest of the playoffs. Thanks for the update. Exciting stuff.
5: Thank you very much, Greg. And just uh, on behalf of the league as well, I just wanted to send our well wishes uh, to Mark Yetman of the Southern Shore Senior Breakers uh, and the Avalon East Senior League. Of course, uh, we work very closely with them. A lot of our players have gone on to play in that league. Very scary situation that happened up there. Uh, we just want to send our well wishes that way.
0: Uh, Nick Hillier, Director of Public Relations Communications at the St. John's Junior Hockey League. Uh, thanks again for the time, buddy. Appreciate it.
5: Thank you very much, Greg. Have a good day.
0: If you want to chime in on some hockey uh, action here this afternoon on News Talk, you can as well on any other news topic of the day. 273- 5211. Of course, throw the 709 in front of it now. 709- 273-5211 or 888-590-8626. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1pm 1 as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. And hey, welcome back to News Talk. It's Greg Smith jumping in from This way in this afternoon. Well, a lot of people might think that COVID 19 is uh, over and done with. Well, it's still a conversation for a lot of folks, and a group of concerned, like minded individuals are wondering what happened to COVID awareness. And as of last week, just so you know, COVID was the cause of 16 hospitalizations in this province over the last two weeks, and that includes two people in critical care. So the virus is still killing people while there were no deaths reported last Wednesday over the previous two weeks. COVID has killed 339 people since the pandemic began. Now, Linda Swain had an interesting conversation with a gentleman out of Stephenville who is calling for COVID awareness through social media. And that's Mr. Keith Muse, who uh, spoke to Linda recently.
4: Uh, my journey with uh, COVID advocacy started uh, basically at the start of the pandemic when I moved from Fort McMurray back to Stephenville, uh, because Newfoundland was sort of the Fort Knox of, of keeping COVID out. And I was like, yeah, that's where I'm going to go. Um, and then in, uh, I think it was May of 2021, my son caught uh, Delta. Variant of COVID, and uh, he's been having sporadic sort of symptoms uh, now and again ever since. And I've been a strong advocate for for kids forever, so I decided to blend them both together. So,
1: and so have I. Mean COVID obviously was a concern to an awful lot of people, um, and uh, remains so for uh, many more. Uh, so why why COVID? Why are you so particularly, I guess, interested in this?
4: I think it's just, you know, the the amount of hidden damage that COVID does. I mean, this uh, notion that COVID is mild is, you know, it's COVID is not mild. I mean, we we had hoped, uh, you know, last year when Omicron uh, first reared its head in 2021 and then, you know, sort of infected, I think it's, uh, you know, it's over 90% of the country in 2022, uh, people kind of got complacent and said, okay, well, there's, you know, if I get through the acute phase and I, I don't have anything, you know, uh, terrible happen to me, then I'm fine. Uh, but what we're finding is that there's a lot of hidden damage with COVID, and that's that's the part that really uh, scared me uh, with my son. So then I, I, you know, started researching and really got into, uh, you know, listening to the doctors and scientists who were putting information out there on social media. And uh, once I did, I, you know, kind of opened my eyes and I was like, wow, I need to you know, share this information with as many people as I can, because, uh, you know, for us, we thought, okay, he was out of the woods. And then we started to see, uh, sort of weird, um, you know, symptoms pop up in him months, weeks later. So,
1: so is it long COVID then?
4: Uh, it's, it's hard to diagnose. Uh, it's just things that weren't prevalent in him before he had COVID and, uh, you know, just memory loss, things that he would never forget and just, uh, you know, forgetting words and things. And he's been a pretty articulate little guy since he was, you know, first learned to talk. And uh, that that sort of worried us. And then from there, um, I put a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of effort into learning about, you know, what is COVID doing to the human body? And from there, it was just Pandora's box of scary things that I really wish I didn't know. <laughs>
1: So we were bombarded for years uh, with COVID information. It seems to have all died off now. Um, Where can we get accurate COVID information? Because even the statistics that the provincial government puts out uh, once every two weeks seem to be lagging or cumulative, if you know what I'm saying, as opposed to real time.
4: It's difficult to um, to you know, get exact, up-to-date, like you say, info. Uh, Tara Moriarty out of the University of Toronto uh, works with a group who estimate uh, COVID numbers, and she puts out a a forecast of estimated uh, COVID severity in different provinces. And they they sort of tell us, um, you know, how many... Estimated COVID cases there are in each area based on wastewater. So the provincial governments really aren't giving those, you know, weekly, daily updates like they used to. Um, you know, which is too bad uh, because it would be great if they were still giving it out and people would still, you know, out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. Um, but groups such as uh, Tara Moriarty's group—they uh, post that stuff on uh, social media uh, weekly and biweekly, just to let people know what the severity and you know what the likelihood of catching COVID is in each area of Canada. So right now, Canada is estimated um, in uh, severe category. So we have one out of twenty-four people in Canada right now is estimated to have COVID currently. So uh, for you know a virus that people think is just gone. Uh, you know, it's pretty prevalent. Like in Newfoundland, their, their severity risk based on wastewater from the federal government is one out of 50 people in Newfoundland right now is infected with COVID. So it's a lot of people.
1: And so you've got this, I guess, ad hoc type of COVID awareness week thing happening. So how are you letting, how are you getting that word out?
4: Uh, basically, it's a social media blitz and, you know, email, call people, uh, basically you know I try not to use the word annoying but you know it 's it 's blanket the world with info and it 's you know many uh many advocates for for anything you know if, if you advocate for anything you you know you're kind of a broken record and a lot of times you find yourself uh you know t- giving this information to people that already know it or you you know you already convinced of, of whatever your cause is so what we're trying to do is just get people to you know t- talk to five people who might not know the dangers of covid and just let them know you know, uh, present them the information, let them digest it. I mean, uh, you know, some people just don't want to know. Um, and, and that's unfortunate. Again, that comes back to the messaging and, you know, the sort of the lack of, uh, you know, uh, you know, if each person can just talk to one or two or three or four or five people or however many they can uh, reach, that, that'd that be great. You know, if you, if you let five people know about the dangers and two of them take it seriously, then that might prevent an infection or, you know, a bad outcome because, uh, you know, long COVID is no joke. It's something that's affecting literally millions of people all over the world. It's not something that's age specific. It's not something that you only get it if you have, you know, uh, an underlying health issue. It's something that can affect anyone of any physical, you know, uh, health level, whatever. I mean, it's a, it's a very scary uh, thing. And, you know, it is it is highly prevalent.
0: That is Keith Mews speaking to VOCM's Linda Swain. Wanted to share that with you. He's part of a group of concerned, like-minded individuals who are wondering what happened to COVID awareness. And he's calling for COVID awareness through social media. If you want to weigh in on that, you can most certainly do that here on your VOCM. Whether it's news talk, open line, or even uh, just any time of the day, feel free to get it off your mind. 273-5211-1888-590-8626. Well, we're getting close to the bottom of the program. I'm here for this hour of News Talk today, but I did want to take you south of the border to the United States. A developing story down there, of course, that a lot of eyes are on. Former U.S. President Donald Trump has surrendered to authorities uh, at a Manhattan courthouse for his arraignment on criminal charges. For the very latest on this, a special report with ABC's Chuck Severson.
6: The first time ever. The former U.S. president's been booked as an accused criminal. His fingerprints were taken in the last hour, and Donald Trump is facing a judge. He's entered a plea of not guilty, all in the criminal courts building in New York, in lower Manhattan. Outside the courthouse, these protesters, both for and against the former chief executive, no trouble these specific charges against Mr. Trump are to be made public soon. The judge, Juan Mershon, just presided over a case that sent a top Trump financial officer to prison, does ABC News chief legal analyst Dan Abrams.
0: She knows in very minute detail a lot about the finances that went on in the
2: Trump organization.
6: And see how fast this can happen. The Trump campaign is now selling a shirt with a photoshopped image of a fake mugshot on the front. We don't expect Mr. Trump to actually have an official mugshot taken, but the shirt is the latest effort to turn the indictment into campaign cash. Chuck Sievertson, ABC News.
0: There you go. Former President Donald Trump pleading not guilty to 34 felony charges of falsifying business records. And that's according to two law enforcement officials familiar with the matter. The plea came during his brief arraignment in a lower Manhattan courtroom this afternoon as he faces a grand jury indictment arising from a hush money payment uh, to a, uh, a adult film actress uh, during Trump's 2016 campaign. Now, the two officials who confirmed the plea spoke in condition of anonymity to the Associated press because prosecutors have not yet released that indictment publicly so we'll follow that for you from south of the border a lot of eyes on it that's going to do it though for news talk this afternoon i'm greg smith in for linda swain today thanks for uh, joining us over the course of the last hour have a great evening